This meeting is being recorded. Hello and welcome to the Greenpole podcast. We have another interview for you today with an ex-Fulham legend. We have a man that made 450 appearances over two spells and becoming an all-time record goal scorer with 178 goals, which Mitrovic is slowly on his way to breaking. Uh, we have Gordon Davis. How are you doing, Gordon? Well, I was doing okay, Alan, until you just said that Mitrovic is on his way to breaking. <laughs> well, that's not a great start to, the, to this podcast, really. Let's be fair. But, uh, but yes, he's he's getting closer and closer by the season. Um, he's giving me a bit of um, breathing space at the moment because a he's picked up an injury, and b we've we've got a gap for the World Cup, so I haven't got to worry about anything until really Boxing Day when he starts knocking off the numbers again. Hopefully he returns from the World Cup fit, because um, that's always a worry. Um, <laughs> so we'll talk about how you come to, to join in Fulham. So in 1978, um, you joined Fulham from your hometown club. Is it Murti? Am I saying that correctly? Uh, no, you're not. I'm not. I didn't think I was. Yes, please. Do you want me to say it for you and then you can repeat it? Because I, I obviously was a teacher at the time. So uh, it was Murtha Tidville. I, Mertha Tidville. There we Correct. Go. We got that. Nine, nine out of ten. <laughs> I must improve to get that extra one. <laughs> so how did the um, the move come about? Well, it was it was a strange situation because obviously I thought my chance of becoming a professional footballer um, had gone because uh, I was signed as a schoolboy at 15 years of age by Manchester City, and then at 16. Uh, when I was hoping to sign in those days sort of apprenticeship forms uh, to take me through to 18 and then you get a a contract. Um, And I just had a a letter come through uh, from Manchester City. Um, And you're obviously, you you see the the outside of the letter and you know it's from Manchester City. It's got Manchester City badge on it and what have you. And you think, wow, this is this could be, it's, it's like getting your O-level or A-level results or your GCSEs or whatever they call these days. You're nervous to open the envelope. So um, um, I gave it to my dad and said, can you open it? And he said, no, no, it's, it's for you. So you've got to open it. Uh, so I opened it up and the, uh, the first sentence was, uh, dear Gordon, uh, we are sorry to inform you. Um, and I didn't, even read the rest of the letter because I knew that it was going to go on to say that um, either I wasn't good enough um, uh, or they weren't going to take me on as an apprentice in those days. Um, And what the letter said was that uh, I hadn't, in their opinion, made enough progress in the 12 months that I was on their books. Uh, And bearing in mind, I was only going up in the holidays to train. Uh, And what I found out later on was that they hadn't, uh, the the local scout um, hadn't come to see me enough times and therefore hadn't sent any um, reports up to Man City as to how I was doing. So I I was just released. There there was no way of getting in touch with them and saying, um, can you explain to me why? Um, I was released and of course, in a way, the bottom, shall I say, as a a 16-year-old, the bottom dropped out of my world um, whether I had uh, mental health issues at 16 years of age, I, I don't know. Probably nowadays I would have been classed with uh, with something of that nature. 
So I just decided to play um, my local league football. Uh, and if I was good enough uh, to go into what was then um, a higher standard, which was the South Wales Amateur League, which is what I did. Uh, and then I went in the following season, I went to a higher league, which was Merthyr Tidville's reserve team, which was then called the Welsh League. And then within six months of playing in the Welsh League, I got into the first team, which was then in the Southern League. And I think it was in those days, the Southern League, Southern Division, which was two divisions below what is now known as the Conference. So in the, I think the 18 months that I played in the first team, um, I went in as a right winger because we already had a centre forward and a number 10, if you want to class it as that, because we played 4-4-2. So I, I, the only place I could get in was, a, was as right wing. I'd never played right wing in my life before, um, but I listened to the coaches, I listened to the manager, I listened to the ex-professionals that we had, um, and we had four or five ex-Swansea professionals that were helping me. So in the first season that I played as a right winger, um, I scored uh, 30 goals from the wing. Wow. And uh, those people, and I know you're in that group of people that never saw me play, uh, a lot of people used to say I was a bit greedy when I got in around the the, the, the box. Um, and, and yes, I scored 13 goal, 30 goals from the wing um, in my first full season in the, uh, uh, the Southern League. And um, fortunately for me, because I, I was a bit greedy, I used to beat the fullback and sometimes I'd cross, but I'd beat the fullback, I'd cut inside, I'd then beat the centre half and then I'd score a goal. So um, fortunately for me, um, in one of the local derbies, which was Merthyr Tiddle against Barry, um, and it was, shall I say, it was more like a, a shall I, well, a war, because neither team liked each other, neither supporters liked each other, and it was always who can kick the hardest and get the most players injured or somebody kicked really hard and get sent off. Uh, and that was a tipping point in a lot of the Merthyr Barry games. So our number 10, uh, I was playing right wing, our number 10 uh, got tackled, he went down, and as the centre-half came down after the tackle, he decided to stamp on his face, and he fractured his cheekbone. So uh, the chap called Mickey Lenahan, uh, ex-Swansea, he went off, uh, we brought the sub on, and then the following week we, fa we found out that he fractured his cheekbone, so he was going to be out of the equation for playing for a good two months. So they then moved me from the right wing into the number 10, sort of big lad, small lad up front, Keegan, uh, Toshak type of uh, scenario. Um, and that was within the first two to three weeks of the season. And things just went well for me. Um, I realised clubs were looking at me when I'd started scoring a few goals. But by the time that I came to sign for Fulham, uh, by the uh, middle of February, I'd scored 35 goals from being a number 10. So basically, in, in a season, um, I'd scored 
65 goals in in the Southern League, and there were about 10 league clubs uh, being interested in me. So Fulham was the uh, the team that um, I was advised to sign by all the, the ex-Swansea players. Um, I never looked at the Fulham squad. I saw them playing on the, uh, the big match in those days, on the Sunday afternoon. And the likes of uh, Brian Greenaway was playing. Um, John Mitchell was up front. And you had Ray Evans, um, John Lacey, um, Tony Gale, Les Strong at the back. So um, I, I decided to um, sign for, for Fulham, not because I thought I can get in the team, but on the advice of other players that they said uh, the pitch is usually in a good state. Fulham usually try to play good football. Um, the crowd are fantastic. They get behind the home team. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll give it a go. So it wasn't anything that stood out to say, um, oh, sign for Fulham and um, you're better than what they've got. You'll get in the team, you, you, you'll play well, you'll score goals. There was nothing of that nature. It was just the advice of ex-professionals to say they thought that that would suit me. So I signed in the February. Um, I played a few reserve team games. I got cramp. And I thought I was fit because I'm, I'm playing Southern League football week in, week out. I went down in the first three reserve team games at Cramp and I started to think to myself, am I good enough to play at this level? Am I good enough? Am I fit enough? Because I thought I was fit training Tuesday night, Thursday night, playing two games a week. And then I found out there's a big difference between non-league football or, or non-professional football and professional football. Um, and I was thinking to myself, am I going to make it in the first two months I was there? So that's how I got to Fulham. And obviously, by the time you left, you'd, you'd become a club legend, broken all sorts of records. Um, but in your own words, if you could just sort of, how easy was it for you to bet in straight away? Because um, I've spoken to a few ex-players and they said they found it incredibly easy. Um, it was it was difficult because I'd uh, you've got to remember that I jumped up five leagues to from two below the conference to the second the old second division and although Bobby Campbell sent me out in a I was sub at home to I think it was Mansfield and we were losing one nil and Bobby Campbell just said uh, go and enjoy yourself son let's see what you can do so I went on for the, but only about the last twelve minutes. I can't even remember whether I even touched the ball. I probably ran about four and a half miles trying to get into the game, <laughs> but I, I can't even remember if I touched the ball that um, in those 12 minutes. Um, and then we, we come to the following week. I was enjoying myself in training. I was trying to do everything properly. I was trying to do everything, um, even though it was still, um, shall I say, a game to me. Um, and then I found out when I did start in the first team, uh, I wanted to do or still tried to do the things that I did at Merthyr Tidville in the second division. And it wasn't coming off. And because it wasn't coming off, I was then 
if I tried something that didn't work, I was then having six professional footballers put me in my place. Um, if I use that phrase, put me <laughs> in my place, uh, there were a few expletives there. Uh, and we'll obviously talk about the first, my first goal in a second. Um, and I then had to change my attitude to say, this is now my job. And it is my one and only job rather than being a teacher and playing football at the weekend. So um, we, we come to the Blackpool game, which was my full debut. Um, we went to Blackpool. Um, I went as what I thought um, 13th man. And uh, we got in the changing rooms before the game. Bobby Campbell went through the team. He said number nine, for instance, I'm going through figures now uh, and, and numbers. Uh, number nine, John Mitchell. Number 10, Gordon Davis. Number 11, Brian Greenaway. Number 12, whoever. And I looked around to uh, either side of me trying to work out, was there another Gordon Davis in the room? <laughs> because I wasn't even expecting to be on the subs bench going to Blackpool, never mind starting. Um, and then I, I got a few ruffles on the hair. Uh, well done, Ivor. Have a good one tonight. And I basically thought, oh, sh sugar, shall we say. <laughs> let's, keep it, let's keep it clean. Um, so I then went to the, the two apprentices that were getting all the boots out of the boot kit. Uh, and I said, can you find my boots? I said, because I didn't know I was playing. So they, they brought out like 26, 27, 30 pairs of boots um, uh, from the boot bin, if you want to call it that. And they said, your boots aren't in. And I said, what, what do you mean my boots aren't in there? Um, I said, I'm playing and I haven't got any boots. <laughs> I said, that's a great start to, to basically 45 minutes to the game now. So... They said, well, we weren't told that you were going to be in the squad or playing. So we didn't put your boots in. So you, you, you're thinking I'm going to start for Fulham Football Club and I'm going to, uh, and I'm thinking I'm going to be going out in white socks here with no, <laughs> with no shoes on, no boots on. So I had to go around all the players to say, have you got any spare boots? And they say, well, well what, what size do you take? Eight. What size are you? Seven. What size are you? Six. What size are you? Nine. What size are you? Ten. And there was nobody with a spare pair of boots that was size eight. So I'm thinking to myself now, this is not looking good. And this is my full debut for Fulham Football Club. And we've got supporters out there that have traveled all the way from London to Blackpool. And I just don't know what's going to happen. So in the end, I had to borrow or wear a pair of size nine boots. I put my feet in them with one pair of socks on and I looked like Coke with a clown. You could move your feet and then your boots would, would move later. Um, so I had to put two pairs of socks on so that the boots would just about fit. So when, you, when you've got this going through your mind before you're making your, your full debut as a professional, you just start... Everything starts going through your mind as if to say, this isn't going well, because 
with with a, a a pair of boots that are a size too big for you, you now feel as though you're not in control of your feet. You're going to run out with the team, and the likelihood is that extra half an inch on the end of your boot, you're going to trip over something because you can see something, but you think I'm not going to catch that, and then bang, you're going to fall flat on your face. So it, it's not the best start even running out down the tunnel and onto the pitch when you've got, I don't know, perhaps 250, 300 Fulham supporters there would have travelled all the way uh, to Blackpool uh, and I'm in a pristine kit and I'm going to run out and in five seconds I'm going to fall over something. I'm going to fall down into a, 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 a puddle and a, and a mud and I'm just going to get up and I'm going to be looking around and the whole the whole stadium is going to be laughing at me. So all these things are going through your mind when you walk, when you're running out for your for your debut. So the, any anyway, the game starts. Fortunately, I don't fall over at any point. I don't trip over my own shoes or somebody else's boots. Um, but after what seemed like an age of my debut, uh, Blackpool got a corner. They sent a half, which I think was Peter Sudderby, um, went up and I went back with him to mark him. Uh, no, I, I never like coming back to mark in my own box. You shouldn't have forwards, unless they're like Mitrovic, you shouldn't have forwards marking in your box. So nowadays, Decadova Reed, don't mark, go to the halfway line. Stay on the halfway line, keep two people back there. So... Uh, but it, the, he started making making a move towards the near post, outside the near post. I went with him. Sorry, it, was, it wasn't a corner. It was a, a throw-in. As the person is just about to take the throw-in, Peter Sudderby stopped, put his one leg through my legs, went to run forward. And, of course, he caught his foot, which is already off the floor, on the back of my calf muscle. And he just falls down like a like a, a big tree going timber coming down like this. <laughs> and he fell flat on his face. I heard a whistle go. And I thought, well, I've not, I've not touched him. Your hands are up. I've not touched him. I look around. The referee is pointing to the penalty spot. And I'm thinking to myself, this, this cannot be happening because I've got somebody else's boots on. <laughs> I have now given a penalty away after six minutes of my full debut. So the then captain, who was Ray Evans, the right back, best captain I've ever played under, he came across to me and he was nose to nose. And um, I will put a few blanks in this conversation that he had with me. But it, when you're getting somebody who's nose to nose and they're poking you in the chest and it's hurting, you don't want to take a step back. So I'm pushing into his finger going into my chest. And this is hurting more and more as, uh, as he's nicely asking me, did you something touch him? <laughs> and I went, no, I did not touch him. So he said, right. And he, every second he's poking. It's like a Chinese drip hit in your head. He's poking me in the chest. And he said, right. He said, you go back up there. He said, you don't come over the halfway line tonight. And if you don't score tonight, I will chin you after the game. Wow. Now, this, this is um, manly advice 
if I put it that way, from your captain in in the seventh minute of your debut. So I turned and I walked to the halfway line. I didn't even watch the penalty because I was, I think I was the same color as my shirt. I was white. And um, I got to the halfway line. I heard the, I heard and saw the Blackpool cr- cl- uh, supporters jump up, cheer. I thought, okay, we're 1-0 down. That's my fault, even though it's not. I, I've, I've cost us a goal. So in those days, uh, John Mitchell used to roll the ball forward to me, just a yard over the halfway line. I would knock it back to the midfield players. So I'd take a step forward, knock it back. Uh, when the ball finally arrived at the halfway line and John Mitchell came up, he put his foot on top of the ball to roll it forward. And I said to him, I said, John, can, can you knock it back to the midfield players? He's gone, what? I said, can I just roll it to you so you can knock it back to the midfield players? And he said, why? I said, because I am shaking like a leaf. <laughs> and if you pass it to me, I don't know whether I can lift my leg to knock the ball back 15 yards. And he went, you've got to be, I said, no, the whistle went (laughs) and he just took a step back. So I rolled the ball forward and tried to put one foot in front of the other to to gradually run forward because I was shaking like a leaf because I thought this isn't going well. This is not how I wanted my debut to go. So the game carries on. Um, fortunately, late on in the first half, I got down to the byline, um, beat, beat one or two players, got down to the byline, crossed the, crossed the ball into the far post, or, or belted it in. I really drove the ball in um, uh, instead of putting it up in the air. And lo and behold, um, Les Strong was on the far post and knocked it in. We're, we're now one all. To, to this day, nobody that played that day can understand how Les was that far forward because he's a left back and he's now in the six yard box. The only thing that John Mitchell and myself can come up with as the explanation as to why Les was that far forward was that we must have had a corner about three minutes earlier and Les was still on his way back (laughs) from the corner. So, uh, so anyway, we're going at half time. And we're one all. So at least I'm feeling a bit better. Of, I've, as they would say today, I've had an assist. So at least I think I've done something to um, uh, give my teammates something to, to shout about. Nobody spoke to me at, at half time. Um, Bobby Campbell didn't like, uh, pick me out. Um, nobody said great cross for Les to score. It was just. This is what we're doing wrong this half. This is what we want to do second half. Whistle goes. My half time went as quickly as that because I am still in the days that I've given a penalty away after six minutes because it was worrying me. So we go out second half. We we, we play well. Uh, and lo and behold, our attacking left back, Mr. Strong, gets down the left-hand side. And he puts a ball in. He, he pulled it back to the edge of the D. Why I was that far out, I don't know, because I'm usually in the six-yard box. But the ball, I could see the ball. As soon as Les hit it, it was coming in. I picked it up early. 
And I thought, I haven't even got a break stride. I haven't even got to get past anybody. And as it dropped, I hit it with my left foot and I was in the D and it, it, I caught it sweetly. And anybody that knows, even if you don't play football, even if you play tennis or squash or badminton, sometimes when you hit something and it's just perfect, you just think, wow, that, that's what I should be doing all the time. I didn't even feel it come off my foot. It didn't get above six inches at nine inches off the floor. And it's just zoomed into the bottom left-hand corner. And as soon as I hit it, you know it's a goal. Um, and the goal went in. I celebrated. Everybody jumped on top of me. We won the game 2-1. Um, and I'm, I'm feeling cock-a-hoop. And in those days, uh, there was a big bath in the changing rooms where all 12 of the players got in at the end. And when I was uh, sort of uh, finally got to the stage where I'd take my stuff off and I was getting in the bath of the rest of the team, there was one spot left, which was next to Ray Evans. <laughs> the, the, the captain who threatened me after six minutes. <laughs> so I got in and the first thing he did was he, he got his hand on my head. He pushed me under the water and I felt as though I, he kept me under there for at least 30 seconds. So you come up and you go, you're spluttering. And he's, he's rubbed my head and he's, well, well done, Ivor. I said, great goal, fantastic goal. And I thought, well, I'm in the good books now. So I thought, well, I'll ask him the question. So I turned around and I said, I said, Skip, I said, you know what you said to me after the penalty? I said, you wouldn't have. And, and before I've even finished the sentence, he said, yes, I would have. I would have chinned you if you hadn't scored tonight. <laughs> and I thought, thank, uh, thank God for that. Um, and the following day, I picked up a few papers, as, as you would, because it's, it's your debut, you scored a winner, you, you created the equaliser. And one of the headlines was, uh, Welsh, Wizard, um, Welsh Wizards scores in Fulham victory. Um, and it was a good, it was a great, it ended up a great start for me. And um, uh, if it hadn't have gone that well, I might not have played a few games between then and the end of the season. I might not have been in the first team at the beginning of the following season. And it could have been a hard slog for me even to play, shall I say, a handful of games for Fulham because my confidence um, would have been uh, shot. So, uh, yeah, I've got a lot to thank, uh, not only Les Strong, uh, but I've got a lot to thank uh, Ray Evans for um, putting, putting me in a position where I knew I had to perform. Unfortunately, um, I did on that day and it, it, it went well for me after then. How did the, uh, the name Ivor come about? It was a situation where they're obviously trying to give you a, a, some sort of nickname when you come to a club. I think somebody may have said in, in conversation, well, we call him Taff, but that, that wasn't good enough because um, uh, we, we, you had Scottish people and they'd call him Jock, you had Irish people, they call him Paddy, whatever. So I don't think even Taff was, was on the cards with regards to, uh, to a nickname. There were various things that, that, that people were just shouting at me on, on the field of play when we were training and it didn't seem to stick. And then one day I, I was sort of getting a, um, um, a, a drink before training. And the night before 
this program was on the um, BBC just before the six o'clock news. I didn't take much notice. I went into training. I was getting, getting some water and somebody just shouted out, excuse me, just somebody just shouted out, Ivor. So I looked around um, thinking that, oh, perhaps another Welsh person has come in that I've not met yet. And, and, and as soon as I turned around, um, somebody said, right, that's it. That will do. And it was because the uh, programme, Ivor the Engine, uh, now everybody knows Thomas the Tank, but Ivor the Engine was before Thomas the Tank, and it was about a, a little Welsh steam engine. So uh, they started calling me Ivor. Uh, they started calling me Ivor in training, um, and it didn't bother me, so I, I reacted to it. If somebody said, oh, Ivor, can you I, I look around? So, of course, this carried on onto the train onto the pitch on a Saturday and I think some obviously people in the crowd would would hear them calling me Ivor on the pitch Ivor give it to me Ivor go along Ivor come in Ivor Mark um, and and then you score a goal and obviously a couple of hundred people went Ivor 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 there was never, there's only one Gordon Davis, one Gordon, none of that. Um, <laughs> so it's a bit like Mitro. I know you're shortening his name and mine is completely different. But Ivor came, uh, Ivor, Ivor came out. So I'm celebrating the goal. So I, I'd celebrate with them. And, and, and that was it, really. The crowd picked up on it. Um, and more and more people then when I scored picked up on it and, and the chant became bigger and bigger and bigger and um, that nickname has um, uh, stuck with me not only at Fulham but uh, throughout football when I, when I went across the road we can't mention obviously the name but when I went across the road um, Mickey Droy was the first person I saw in the change rooms and he came in he went Ivor how are you pleased to meet you welcome to the other club <laughs> uh, when I went up to Man City, uh, Paul Power said, Ivor, how are you? Because they'd heard it being called on the pitch when I played against those teams. Um, and, and so throughout the game, um, yes, Ivor has stuck. And, and, and it's, um, it's as if it's my name now rather than um, Gordon Davis, because um, I see uh, working in hospitality now. I see people, different Fulham supporters week in, week out. And if I go to the table, they will literally look up and they go, Ivan, how are you? Nice <laughs> to see you. So it, it's, uh, it's an affectionate name uh, that literally I've got to thank the creators of Ivan the Engine because I could have been called something horrendous uh, <laughs> otherwise. And uh, um, answering to Ivan now uh, is second nature to me at Fulham because very rarely people... Um, I wouldn't say know my name, but very rarely people will say Gordon. Um, so it, it's one of those things. And, and to be perfectly honest with you, um, I actually, um, I absolutely love it. You're slightly disappointed that there wasn't a a better song. Well, not a better song, but a song with more words than one sung for <laughs> you. <laughs> um, it. I, I tell you what. It's there's not many players this is the way that I look at it nowadays there's not many players that you know by one name and I'm affectionately known by one name um, and 
Uh, I'm never going to put myself in the, the category of the players that I'm going to mention, but there's been quite a few decent players with one name, and, and you know who you're talking about. Mm. And uh, there's Pele, there's Messi, there's Ronaldo, there's Mitro, and there's Ivor. So <laughs> if, even if I'm fifth in that list, then then yes, and there's a, there's a lot more with one name, but one name will, will be fine with me. And, um, and I know where you're coming from. There's, there's different um, songs that, that supporters do now, which there, there wasn't that many in, 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 shall we say, in the good old days. Um, I'd, I'd like to think that um, uh, Ivers on fire, your defence is petrified, <laughs> would have been used then if that had been a boat. Um, but, but no, it, it, even, if, um, even if it's only one name, that, that'll do me. Thank you very much. It's got a catch to it. Ivers on fire, <laughs> your defence is terrified. <laughs> we'll have to get that going in the next home game, Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> um, but with all the goals you scored, uh, is there one that sticks out in your mind? Um, either it was the best goal you scored, or the one you enjoyed the most, or even that Blackpool goal that, because it was your first. Yeah, that, there's there's two that I always refer to. Uh, the one that we've mentioned is is the Blackpool goal because I, I always say that that is probably the most important to me uh, as an individual. Purely because of the, of the, as I've mentioned, the, the position that I found myself in, um, in, in that game and the pressure that I was putting on myself to um, get the team out of, a, out of a situation that although wasn't my fault, um, it could have easily have been um, p- portrayed that way that you put a youngster in there, 22 years of age, first game, gives a penalty away after six minutes and you lose 4-0, for instance. So the, the, the Blackpool game I, uh, or the Blackpool goal, I w- will always say that that is the most important to me as an individual because without that goal, I may never never have had the success I had at Fulham um, in, in the long term. The most important goal um, that I think uh, that I scored was was in a home game against um, Preston North End, which was late on in the season that we got promoted uh, from the old third division. And and we needed to win that day, um, I think, to set up um, basically a promotion decider with uh, Lincoln. Uh, And obviously the, the Lincoln game is a, is a legendary game in itself with with um, uh, Big Brownie uh, coming in, having a battered face, but uh, scoring the goal that uh, got us promotion. Um, but the the Preston North End game, um, we we were under so much pressure to win at home on that on that Saturday, um, and because Dean Coney and myself had a very good relationship, um, I, I just said three words to Dixie as as it was going into him. Um, and because we had a, it was like a telepathic understanding. Dixie was brought in from the the, the, the the reserves stroke youth team that he played in. And we hit it off from day one. Um, and I know he gets flack from a lot of the older supporters for not scoring enough goals for us or, or sometimes for missing one chance that they all remember. And, and I stick up for him and I won't hear a bad word said about Dean Coney. 
because he created so many goals for the team, not not, not necessarily for me, but for the team. Um, and uh, he, he, he gets slaughtered, uh, and I hate it, um, because um, uh, the, the Preston game, he, he'd got a centre-half behind him, and all I said to him, I said, I said, Dixie, flick it. And because he knew where to flick it for me, the ball came down and it bounced and it came up and it was about knee height and the keeper started coming out and it bounced nicely for me. And, and sometimes you can see big areas when the keeper's coming out to you, big area to the right, big area to the left, whatever. And I saw a big area to the, to the left-hand side uh, as I was looking at the goal and, it, and it, it fell down nicely. I had a way for it to bounce back up and I hit it on the volley straight, back, straight past the keeper in the top left-hand corner. And that, that either put us 2-1 up or 3-1 up uh, in the game. Uh, and, and we ended up winning the game. But I, th- I think to this day, if I hadn't have get that, got that one, there would have been so much pressure on uh, getting the winning goal that day that we could have gone into the, um, the Lincoln game needing to win the game to, to go up. Um, rather than just getting a point from the game. And although we didn't go into the game with the attitude of let's draw the game and when we're safe, because somebody only mentioned to me um, a few weeks back that if we'd have actually won that game 2-1, I think we would have gone up as champions. Mm. But it, but it, you were so involved in the game and, and because it was such a close game um, that we were being battered late on in, in, in that game itself. Um, it, it could have easily uh, have gone Lincoln's way, and we wouldn't have got promotion. So I think nerves played a bit uh, uh, a big part. And when you think of the crowds that we get now, twenty eight, twenty nine thousand, we were packed that night, and I believe there were only fourteen and a half thousand in in the ground. So I think um, uh, the chairman uh, quite a few bob from uh, from that game that night. But then again. Supporters may have only been paying a fiver to get in, so it, times have changed. But I would go with those two goals: the uh, the Blackpool goal for being most important to me as an individual, and for the for Fulham, um, uh, the, the the goal I scored against Preston North End. But people, or the older people, will probably bring up the Chesterfield goal. Now I know it's it's one goal that people haven't got a clue about. It is on YouTube somewhere, um, <laughs> but I'm literally four yards in from the touchline and five yards in from the corner flag, uh, and I've scored from there. Um, and if, if people can find it, then you would look at it and you would go, how the hell have you scored a goal from there? Uh, but people remember it because they said, they always tell me, well, you were near the corner flag when you scored. Well, I was actually near the corner flag. I think I was a yard off the pitch or a yard on the pitch when the ball went into the goal. Um, but it was just one of those. I, I could do it now, I don't know, 5,000 times because I was sprinting to the dead ball line. I got my foot around it, bent it around the keeper, and it went in the far post. Uh, missed the near post by about two inches. I could try it 5,000 times now, and I probably wouldn't do it once. But it, on the day, um, it went in, and, and, and Fulham supporters remember that goal um, because of where it was scored from. Because nobody believes it, and to be perfectly honest with you, 
Um, I'm only starting to believe it now when that's 40 years after Scott after I scored the goal. <laughs> so I do have to mention that you did have two spells at the club. Uh, the first at the end of the first spell, um, we're not allowed to swear on a podcast, although you know swearing yeah. is fine. Um, you <laughs> did go to the uh, the other side of SW6, shall, shall we put it? Yes, yes. Uh, first question is why, um, and two is that a move that you look back on now and you sort of regret because after that you went to Man City and it didn't quite work out at either of the two clubs and then you ended up coming back to what you'd like to call home, I assume. So, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it was a situation. I was, I was in contractual talks with the club. I was actually out of contract with Fulham, um, but they could hold on to your registration. So... I was coming back uh, from uh, the end of the season. As soon as the new season started, I had to come into the club on a Friday to sign a one-week contract to play on the Saturday. Uh, and if we had a midweek game, to play on the Tuesday. Um, contractual talks had, had broken down. And uh, so I played on the Saturday, I played on the Tuesday, trained all week after training at uh, Roehampton on the Friday. I would then have to travel back to the ground to sign a one week contract to be able to play the following day. Um, Fulham held on to my registration and unless anybody came in and made an offer for me, then I was a Fulham player on a week to week contract. Uh, the stumbling block was um, what they called in those days was appearance money. So I was on £200 a week. Um, I asked for appearance money, which 75, 80% of the first team players are on, and I wasn't. Um, and bearing in mind, I've been at the club now four years, something like that, uh, four or five years. Uh, so I asked for the uh, signing on. Uh, I asked for the appearance money to, to be put in my contract, and the um, commercial, not commercial, the financial director said no. So I just walked out of the office and said, "Right, I'm not signing the contract." So I was signing a week-to-week -week contract throughout uh, pre-season, which was July, August, September. And the beginning of October, I was top goal scorer that season at the time. I was playing well. I was scoring goals. And at not one point in those three months of the club come around and said, right, we'll put the appearance money in your contract. If they had, I would have signed the contract then. And I wouldn't have left Fulham. I would have, I would have been a one club person. But they never, ever came back to me. And, and about the second week in uh, October, uh, because they were asking, uh, now bearing in mind, they paid £4,000 initially for me. And then they paid another £1,000 to Merthyr after 10 league games. Um, I've now scored, I don't know, 80 goals, 90 goals for them. Um, and they wouldn't put the... Uh, appearance money in 
So Chelsea were the only club to come in and make a, a bid for me. Uh, and it was only because Chel uh, Fulham had put a £300,000 figure on my head. Wow. Um, and they were paying me £200 a week. So Chelsea said, well, we will take you to tribunal. Uh, Fulham weren't happy about that. So we went to tribunal. We had to all go up to Lancaster Gate. And uh, because of my age, which was 28, um, Fulham, off, uh, Fulham wanted £300,000 for me. Chelsea offered £90,000 for me. And the tribunal set a figure of £100,000. Uh, Chelsea agreed to pay that. Um, and then I had to go to speak to Chelsea with regards to uh, a contract. Um, in the meantime, Fulham still never came back to me and said, right, OK, Gordon, we'll up your wages. We'll pay you the appearance money. Um, all, all that uh, happened was that um, Fulham just went quiet. Um, and I thought to myself, well, if a club that I love don't want to keep me here, then I've played international football. Um, I've scored goals for Fulham, so they know that I can score goals for them. The only place that I haven't scored goals and I haven't had the opportunity to play is the first division. And I, and I thought, well, nobody else has come in for me. Um, and what I found out later, three or four clubs had come in for me, but they were scared off by the £300,000 valuation by Fulham. And, and they put a high valuation on me because they didn't want me to leave. Um, but they weren't prepared to pay me any more money, as it were. Mm. So um, it was agreed. Um, I, I agreed terms with um, uh, Chelsea. Chelsea paid the £90,000. And I moved across the road. Um, and, and it was a situation that I, I had one option to try my uh, ability in the first division, now obviously the Premier League, and unfortunately for Fulham supporters, for Fulham as a club, and for me, um, it was going to our arch rivals. Um, and so I went across there. Um, I only played 13 games in the, in the 12 months I was there, but I scored six goals. So I kept up my average of roughly one goal every two, two and a half games. Um, and then John Hollins um, broke a promise to me so I handed in a, um, a transfer request and basically Ken Bates got me a move to, Ch uh, to Man City. Um, I went there. I scored goals for Man City. I, I think I scored 16 goals in 38, league, uh, 38 games for Man City. But Billy McNeil was the worst manager to play for in the world. <laughs> um, so I was, I was, I was put in the reserves. Uh, Ray Lewington uh, got involved uh, and got in touch with me and said, would you like to come back to Fulham? So I said, well, um, at the moment, uh, I said, I've got um, leads on, on the phone. They want to speak to me because they want, they want to purchase me from Man City. Um, I, I said, I'll, I, it's something that I've got to have a think about. Uh, because obviously we, we'd moved and we'd sold our house down in the south of England. We've now got a house in the north of England. 
So after, after a, a few weeks debate and what have you and chatting to different people, um, I gave uh, Ray Lewington a ring and said, um, OK, can we talk? And um, I had a chat with Ray Lou. And I think two or three weeks later, I'm, I'm back as a Fulham player. And I think I'm playing, although my, my debut was away at Darlington, which we lost, which was a terrible game. The next home game was against Hereford. Um, I'm not too sure if it was in the cup. Um, um, I think we won 3-1 or 3-0. I scored two at home. The crowd, back to what our conversation much earlier, I score a goal. Ivor, Ivor, Ivor. <laughs> so I get two goals in, in the Hereford game. And things are back to normal. I'm, I, I'm, I'm playing at a, at a place that I love playing at. I'm playing at a place where the crowd, shall I say, love me. Um, and I'm scoring goals. So it, it was um, a frustrating two years, but I proved a point to myself that I could score goals at first division level. So I scored goals in the third division, the second division, the first division. I scored goals in the um, uh, international level. Um, and I was just back at, at a place that I loved. And I was back in the team. I was scoring goals. So everything, as far as I was concerned, was back to normal apart from being in the old third division rather than the second division. And my ambition was to try to help the club get back in the old second division. So the reason, so you leaving obviously didn't help the club. Um, you seem to struggle. Uh, no, I think the club, <laughs> I think the club, even before I left, when we didn't get promotion, um, if you go back to every knows the Derby game, that season um, I think within about 12 months uh, to 18 months, we had the likes of Jerry Payton leave, Sean O'Driscoll leave, uh, Tony Gale leave, Kevin Locke leave, Robert Wilson, uh, Ray Houghton, uh, Dean Coney, Paul Parker, myself. And, and just by mentioning, no, there's nine players from that first team squad. Um, and there are, there are other players that left. But there's nine players from a squad of about 15 players that that left, and you you really could only see under the ownership at the time, you could really see that the club was just going from uh, bad to worse. Which, when you love a club, it, it, it's hard to swallow, even though you, you're at a a, a higher uh, level. Um, and you're playing better football with, with better players, you just look back and you just think the club was torn apart within two to three years. And it took a long, long time then until the likes of uh, Mickey Adams came in and then Kevin Keegan and then Al-Fayed came in and more money was put in. Um, the you, I, I've got to, got to admire because I was there when we were having four and a half thousand people come through the gate and they were trying to generate as much atmosphere for the players and the, and the club as possible. But they went from being a first division outfit and getting promotion that year to really becoming um, a, a second division, a third division, a fourth division club um, and, and not far from going out of the league. Mm. So, they, they've um, they, they they hit rock bottom um, after that season where we should have got promotion to the old first division, 
and, and they went down and down and down. It took a long, long time for them to get back to even where I thought they could get to, never mind step up another gear and, and get to the Premier League. Mm. And my mum still got carb, um, newspaper cutouts of when we nearly had that merge with QPR. Um, oh. And, you know, that horrible time, my first season was 94, 95. So I missed all of that. Um, but even when I first started going, there was only sort of, I think about four or 5,000. And then you sort of, the more the more divisions you go up, the more it attracts people, the yeah, crowd, well, new crowd. Well, that's the thing, Alan. When I came back, of course, Ray Lewington was a, was a big influence on me coming back because I played with him and he was he was manager. Um, but I, I spoke to Ballstrode because um, he was the owner at the time on Marl Estates. And I categorically looked in his face and asked him, um, are you going to merge with QPR? And he looked me straight in the eye as the businessman he was. Um, and he said, no, there's no chance of us merging with QPR as long as I'm in charge. And I said, OK, fine. I said, I'll sign. If he'd have told me the truth and he said, well, yeah, I'm hoping that we can merge and have a bigger stadium for the two of us. I wouldn't have signed because I would not have wanted to come back to a club that was going to that I loved. That was going to be in a way sold down the river. So sold down the Thames, merge with another club. Neither set of supporters would have liked it. And you would have had to have got started from scratch with a with a, a new bunch of supporters who only knew um either Fulham Park Rangers or, or Queen's Park Fulham, whatever you want to you make make a name up. Um but he lied to my face um and if I'd have known I wouldn't I wouldn't have signed. But I suppose I can thank him in one way um for for uh, lying to me. Because if I hadn't have um, come back, then I would never have uh, scored the goals for Fulham and I would never have become Fulham's all-time record goal scorer. But it's certainly not the position that I wanted to be in with an owner lying to you just to get you to sign a piece of paper. Hmm. And I suppose from a Fulham fan's point of view, in a way, we thankfully did, he did lie. Um, you know, we never... <laughs> can, we never... Well, 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 I thank you for that. I thank you for that. <laughs> you know, lying's bad. Um, if there's any children listening, don't lie. Um, <laughs> but this is an instance where lying has, it's come, there's some good come of it. Um, well, yes, yes. And we certainly benefited from it. But I'm going to put you on the well, spot. I, I suppose I, I shouldn't really say this phrase, but uh, obviously Bullstrode did, did pass away. Um, he, he passed away on the job. Um, and um, uh, if, if people want to look up and find out how he passed away, then you'll understand the, way, the, the phrase that I've used. I, see. I haven't, which is probably why that's gone over my head a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm going to put you on the spot. Um, okay. uh, so if you could create a five-a-side football team with the players you played for in a Fulham shirt, obviously you'll be at the top. You'll, you'll be one of the five. Who are the other four that you're picking, just out of curiosity? Uh, Jim Stannard, Kevin Locke, Tony Gale, Robert Wilson. I thought it was going to take longer than that, but that was nice and quick. Les Strong doesn't get a place. No, no, no Strong doesn't get a place. And, and the reason I, the reason I pick those four, uh, and you've got to have a sub. So I, I, I will put um, uh, I can't remember his name. No, he's going to kill me if he ever watches this. Um, 
no, it might come to me. But the reason <laughs> I picked those four is because um, apparently Fulham had never won the London or the Evening Standard London Five-A-Side Tournament. And the year that they put us five together, uh, we actually won the Evening Standard London Five-A-Side Tournament um, at, at Wembley. Um, and uh, there, there will, if you look this up, there will be a photograph uh, being presented with the trophy. But but yeah, Jim Stannard was um, unbelievable for reaction saves. And I know that uh, in a few years after he got in the first team, um, it was he put, shall I say, he put on a bit of weight. Uh, and it was it was then Big Jim that was in goals. But uh, on a five-a-side pitch, Jim was unbelievably agile as a, as a goalkeeper. You had Tony Gale playing at the back alongside Kevin Locke. Uh, Kevin Locke was sometimes the defender, but Tony Gale could bring the ball out and coming to midfield on a five-a-side pitch. And Robert Wilson was um, one of those, for the older people, I would class him a bit like Martin Peters. Uh, he could ghost into the area and, and get important goals. He was good on the ball. He had a little bit of trickery. He could score goals. And then, of course, you, you, you've you got me up front to, who would um, perhaps score a goal at nothing. Uh, and that night, um, uh, we, we played well and we beat a lot of good teams that night. And um, I think they don't do it now. Um, uh, it's more sort of sky five-a-sides or seven-a-sides or what have you. But, yeah, I think that's the only time we've actually won the Evening Standard London Five-a-Side Football Championships. So that's how, how I was so quick giving you the other four. Because, <laughs> yeah, I think they did – was it the Masters they, they did on Sky? Um, yes, yes, they did. and um, They should bring uh, that there's back. A, there's, a little, there's a little story about that one as well. Not the Premier League – Scott, uh, masters they started off by doing the internationals and uh, of course i was in the wales squad uh, along with the likes of uh, robbie james and mickey thomas joey jones um, uh, di davis uh, so we end up going to wembley to play for wales and we look at the running uh, startup in the big program that sky have produced and it's on first is England, Scotland, then it's Wales, Ireland. So we are gradually getting changed and we're taking the, taking the mickey out of each other because we haven't seen each other for years. And um, we're thinking we've got, well, we've got at least sort of 20 minutes, half an hour before we're on. And a uh, chap from Sky comes in and uh, he's just gone. He doesn't say, oh, by the way, gents or boys or he went, oh, door open. And he's gone, um, Wales. So, so we all look, we all look around. Uh, you're on in about six minutes. You play in England. <laughs> and so, 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 well, and there's no manager there. So we picked the. We we said no, we're not. We're on set. We're playing Ireland. We're not playing England. No, we've we've changed the running order. So we look up on the television that's in the changing rooms, and England are out there already warming up. They're all we, we're still half dressed. <laughs> so we're thinking, what's what's going on here? Well, because of the squads that were announced, Sky suddenly realised, because these booklets that they produce for the evening have been produced like three weeks in advance, a month in advance. So um, Sky suddenly look at the squads and think, well, Scotland and England have really got the best squads 
uh, even though Ireland are a good team, we had a good team. So what we better do, we better make it that England play Scotland last in the evening because they're bound to win their two games against Wales and Ireland. And then it'll be a nice, easy, ozy game between Scotland and England before the final, which will again be Scotland and England. So we thought, OK, right, here we go. We, we don't know what's happening. So we're, we're gradually putting out uh, boots and socks on. We get out there. We get 30 seconds warm up with the ball on the pitch before the game starts. England have been out there for the last, like, two days warming up. <laughs> so we get out, and, and the only um, clock is the one in, in the middle above your head in the centre of the arena. It's like a basketball clock. There's time on four sides. So we kick off, and it goes, and I can't remember how the passing went, it goes from uh, Hakeley to Gary Stevens to Hoddle to uh, Trevor Stephen, to Hoddle, to Hakeley, 1-0. <laughs> and and we, we've all looked up at the clock. And there's seven seconds gone. And we think we're 1-0 down. Now, at least we just look around and we think, what, what's gone on here? So, Joey, we're all wearing short sleeves. So, so I'll have to start. So, Joey Jones goes... Like that. Uh, uh, he rolls a non-sleeve up. <laughs> and we thought, right, we're going to get stuck in now. We're not having this. So at halftime, and, and what is it, you play seven minutes each way. So seven seconds, we're one nil down. At halftime, we're 3-1 up. We are playing well, and we've got stuck in. With his elbows going everywhere, there's headbutts, there's, 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 there's challenges over the ball, there's people in the court, there's people over into the crowd. So we've got stuck in. So we're 3-1 up. And then um, we end up winning. We're, we're under siege second half. We end up winning 4-3. So it's now completely cocked up. Sky's running order for the evening. So Ireland go out and play Scotland. And Ray Houghton is playing for Ireland. So lo and behold, Ireland beat Scotland. So we then play Ireland. We draw with Ireland. Uh, Scotland, draw with, uh, Scotland draw with England. The final is now Ireland against Wales. But the <laughs> final game before the final is England-Scotland, which is a, a non-entity because they can't get through to the final. So, of course, the Irish boys and the, Scot uh, the Welsh boys, we're all sitting on the side going, go on, Scott, come on, Ireland. Hey, come on. <laughs> we're all knocking the Cokes back and the lemonades and the water. And um, so, so the final was between Ireland and Wales. Um, and um, and this was the first international five-a-side that uh, Sky had done. And Wales beat Ireland in the final. So we, we are international champions, uh, British home, home international champions, Wales. So the next year, um, it's uh, out in Ireland um, as they're the reigning champions. So again, England didn't win a, uh, didn't win a game in that first session. Um, it, they went out to this to Ireland. I'm not too sure whether they won a game out there, but it was Wales Ireland final, and Ireland beat Wales in the final in the second international series. So, uh, for what started out as a, a big thing for Sky, and they thought uh, Wales Ireland, like forget about, it. they never win the home internationals anyway, so they're not going to win the five sides. To 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 try and work it that Ireland uh, England Scotland would be the final. 
and Wales and Ireland got through. And even though we beat Ireland, we were just so, both teams were so pleased that, shall I say it, England didn't get through to the final. Because on paper, <laughs> they looked a fantastic team, uh, but on the pitch, um, shall I say, the, the, the two teams that worked, that kicked, that punched, that put everything into the game to win the game was Wales and Ireland. And uh, 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 just, just to see the Celts come out on top again was uh, was, was brilliant from a five-a-side point of view. It's funny you mentioned that uh, on paper, England have one of the best squads, but in reality, they do nothing with it. Um, I think that's been a story of, of the English national team for almost 60 years. Um, well, you're not going to you're not going to mention '66, are you? Come on, <laughs> come on. We've we've got we've got the World Cup coming up now, and I've got an English person this mentioning '66 is... just before the World Cup. And what is this? What is the group? Iran, U- United States, yeah. Wales. Mm. Yeah, somebody else in that group as well. <laughs> See, you you you've just destroyed my last question, Ivor. Thank you for that. <laughs> So before I ask you that question, I am going to ask you a quick one question about the World Cup before we wrap up. But yeah. we do something with all ex-players. Um, I've done it with Rob Wilson, Robbie Herrera, Lee Clark. Um, so the five quick five questions, um, be as honest or as dishonest as you want. Uh, question yeah. one, who did you support growing up? Uh, Man United. Ooh, any particular reason why? Um, they were my local team, South Wales. Okay, uh, questions. But, but, but a <laughs> caveat to that, because I signed for, for Man City at 15 years of age, and I met the first team of Summerby, Lee, Bell, Cook, I swapped allegiances from red to blue. I've been a Man City supporter since I've been 16. And for the first 26 years, I wondered why, because they didn't win a thing. But there you go. <laughs> yes, yeah, it sounds up a bit like your, the start of your playing career. You went from Fulham... Um, and then you went to Chelsea. So the change of allegiances um, sort of goes hand in hand. Um, question two, who was your sporting hero growing up? I, I had two. One from Man United, Dennis Law. One from uh, Man City, Colin Bell. Dennis Law. Because he also played for City as well, didn't he? Yeah, he did. And didn't he but, relegate Man United at Old Trafford? But, but he wasn't the one that got them relegated. And everybody thinks that his back heel at Old Trafford got Man United relegated, but I think there were four or five games still to go that season. But as soon as he scored, he walked off and they subbed him. So he still had an affinity to Man United. But yeah, he was my first. And then when I met Colin Bell and he was a midfield player, as I was as a kid, I've got those two, Law and Bell. Okay. Both, both, both known as the king at each club. So, And you followed in their footsteps. Um, oh, no, no, it's King, king it's King Louis. Yeah, I suppose we can have two kings. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> well, three with Mitro. Um, uh, question three. You could invite three people from all walks of life, dead or alive, to dinner. Who are you choosing? Oh, wow. Um, now, I've got, to th- I've got to think about that one. Um, one would be Richard Burton. Um, he's before your time, but he's a Welsh actor. Okay. Uh, one would be uh, obviously Lee Trevino because uh, people would go for Tiger Woods but Lee Trevino was the first person uh, that I 
picked up from golf. But I loved the way he played. I loved his attitude. Um, and uh, I still love him to this day uh, because he just loves the game and he does things unconventional. So Richard Burton, Lee Trevino, and, oh, wow, third person. Um, I would probably have to say, This is a difficult one because I've got two or three names flying around in my head. And do I do go do I go for a female or do I go for a male? Um, I'm going to go for a female, and I'm going to go, and people are gonna have to look this one up. I'm going to go for Jan Francis. Jan Francis. And you you haven't got a clue, have you? <laughs> she was a, a 19, uh, I would think, 80s actress. And um, she was one of the first uh, people in television that I probably fell in love with. And, and I used to think she was absolutely gorgeous. But if it wasn't her, then it would be definitely John Lumley. A, a close call between those two. Okay. Uh, question four. What is your favourite holiday destination? Um, well, oh, wow. The thing is, we, we don't necessarily go away on holidays these days because of uh, we, we live in England, but we've got a place in Spain. But I would probably have said it's, it's got to be one of the places that I went to... Um, when I was playing football and we were either at the end of season or, or, or pre-season um, and I would go Seattle. Seattle? Mm. Mm. Heard uh, nice things about Seattle actually. Um, never been myself but that's one for the, uh, the bucket list. <laughs> um, and question five, if you could have one superpower, what would it be? Um, knowing what defenders are thinking. <laughs> I think you did anyway, didn't you? Judging by uh, the amount of goals you scored, Gordon. Yeah, yeah. Not, not the amount of times I got kicked up in the air, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> you see, the highlights I watch don't show that. They don't show you being kicked about. They just see the, uh, the amount of times you uh, put the ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They see the goals and the celebration, but they don't show the, the, amount, the amount of time. I, I probably spent a third of my time laying on the floor. Uh, writhing in agony but people don't people don't see that uh, because remember i said earlier on I'm, I'm five foot eight five foot nine and i'm being whacked about by six foot one six foot two seven halves so i'm fortunate that i'm able to shall i say still walk around these days because there's some ex-professionals that are struggling with injuries but even though i got kicked all over the place um I, I'm, I'm pretty good at the moment anyway good that's good to hear now we are gonna wrap up but I can't sort of finish this without asking you about the Qatar World Cup which is starting um, in a few days by the time this is re this is released um, the World Cup would already have started yeah um, so you probably would have already have played the US by then what do you expect from Wales um, and can you finish second um, above the US <laughs> <laughs> 
that's a, that's a really nice way of doing it. That's a really nice way of doing it. Um, yeah, I think I think we can. Uh, the problem with Wales, we we rely on probably three three of our major players, and if they're fit um, and um, playing to one one hundred percent potential, then we can beat any of the other three teams in that group. It it all depends on um, really how Bale Ramsey. I won't mention the other one. Uh, how they play. Um, it's Joe Allen, really. Uh, how <laughs> they play. Um, because um, Bale can bring something, even though he's not 100% fit, Bale can bring something out uh, in, in a split second. And if there's a free kick that's 20 yards out, yes, he's got the ability. It's going to be tough because um, I spoke to Anthony Robinson and he reckons that Iran are very much a team that could do well in, in the conditions out there. Um, so it all depends how we do against uh, Iran. I think we can beat the, the United States. Um, and then anything can happen against England because, yes, they, they've got the, the squad, they've got the players um, that, that can hurt you, uh, but it's going to be like a, 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 a normal English Premier League game, to be perfectly honest with you. And um, sometimes there's not much between the two teams when they're both playing a similar system. Mm-hmm. We we could change it by uh, having Kiefer Moore up there and, and just going long and having people feed off him and just seeing how he copes or how the English centre, central defenders cope with him if we go long ball. Um, but I think everybody wants to play out from the back these days. But... Um, as Brentford uh, created Man City more problems by going long in the last uh, week or so before the, the World Cup, then perhaps um, Page might turn around and say, well, let's not play out from the back and invite pressure. Let's go long and play off the big man, um, which is how we played 40 years ago. So it's going to be it's going to be interesting. It's going to be um competitive um, and I'm hoping that uh, as it's the first time we've got there since 1958 uh, then um, uh, they'll play Michael Sheen's uh, oratory uh, monologue to them uh, and um, we'll sing Amar Ahid before the game however many uh, well supporters are out there um, and uh, it'll give them a little edge to uh, go into the uh, to all the games, never mind the English one. So yeah, I think we can finish top, and we can also finish second. You see, top was out of the question, Ivor, um, which is why I did mention second. But I like the way you did that. <laughs> <laughs> but one thing I'm looking forward to actually is seeing Harry Wilson come up against Anthony Robinson um, in a competitive match, which I think. Uh, that's the game I'm most looking forward to, to be honest. Well, the thing is, he, he's, he's, he's going to have two of them coming at him. He's going to have Harry Wilson or he's going to have Dan James. Dan James, yeah. And um, James is like a bit of a whippet at the moment. And yeah, uh, all, all, I'd be, all I'd be saying to them is when you get in the box, just keep hold of the ball because Robinson is likely to put his foot in and then you can fall over like De Bruyne and uh, get a last-minute penalty. But, yeah, you uh, just have to be a bit smart about it. <laughs> <laughs> that's where you've got to be when you're a forward yes 
Yeah, you might need to give uh, Venetius a few tips, Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> but look, it's been an absolute pleasure. I have absolutely loved the last hour and a half. Um, you know, I wasn't alive when you were when you played for us, and you know, I grew up. I was born in '91, so I'm still only 31. But watching Fulham, I feel 61 now sometimes. Um, but being able to speak to a club legend like yourself, it's an honour to me. Um, and my mum and dad are very jealous. Um, and all the listeners, I'm hoping, will will listen to this. And you know, I'm sure you've told some fantastic stories, which I'm sure they'd appreciate. Um, you do just before we go. You do still go to the the games, don't you? You still walk around in hospitality and. You still watch the the first team? Yes, yes. I, I, I work. Um, I'm I'm working in the hospitality on um, every home game, um, and that's whether I'm um, in Northumberland, uh, where we live now, or whether I'm out in Spain. So I'm always coming back for for every every home game, and I love talking to the uh, Fulham supporters, whether they've um, uh, seen me play, not seen me play, uh, and it's one of those situations that. It, I'm um, I'm being introduced to uh, people your age who who didn't see me play, and I'm, I've been in, introduced to people half your age that didn't even know who I was. So <laughs> uh, never mind, saw me play. Um, so yeah, no, I, I I love it. I love the club. I love the job, um, and uh, hopefully, as long as I can keep my health, then I'll be doing it for a few years yet. Fantastic, and um, enjoy the World Cup. Hopefully not too much when you play England. Um, and I'll no doubt see you uh, at the cottage at some point this season, hopefully. And take care, Gordon. Thank you. Will do. It's been, it's been a pleasure. And, uh, uh, well, shall I say, I won't uh, say it before um, it is, but uh, happy Christmas to everybody because the next time, obviously, we'll, uh, we'll be sort of uh, looking at Premier League football is, the, is Boxing Day and then... Uh, the 31st when we've got a home game. So happy Christmas to everybody. Thank you, Ivy. You too.